You're tuned in to Let's Talk Good Business, the show that's designed to feature the emerging identity of social entrepreneurs, activists, philanthropists, and other creative change makers. Join our host, Dr. Dion Mahaffey, as she explores the strategies, leaders, and new markets that are driving the evolution of conscious good business. Hi, this is Dr. Dion Mahaffey. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Talk Good Business. Today's theme is win-win, the mutual benefit in nonprofit and for-profit partnerships. Today's guest is Michael Molina, a New Orleans native who has lived in the Atlanta area for eight years. He's a performer, educator, author, and attorney, a progressive public policy advocate and graduate of Yale Law School, Xavier University of Louisiana, and the New Voices Justice Fellowship Program. Mike is currently the Director of Programs for Clarkston Community Center and a Georgia Lawyer for the Arts board member representing the Decatur Arts Alliance. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me, Dr. Mahaffey. Well, I'm seeing a trend among those of us of a certain age. <laughs> We're leaving traditional careers for something purposeful or non-traditional. I mean, you are a lawyer. So t- tell our listeners you know, more about your background and how you arrived at this moment in time. Sure. I, my background is a little unique. Uh, out of Yale Law School, I decided to spend uh, the, the cachet of that degree on trying to do something good for the world, taught by my parents, uh, both educators, that to whom much is given, much is required. And so I went immediately into education policy work, um, service work, particularly working with young people, uh, disadvantaged youth and their families around education policy, criminal justice policy, trying to help folks heal from uh, the fracture that occurs when a, when a loved one is locked up. Um, that work I did in San Francisco, which really pulled me into the arts world. Uh, we used creative expression, spoken word, poetry, music, hip-hop, as a way to empower the young people to tell their stories to their peers, to their teachers, to their administrators, to policymakers, to whoever would listen and had some, um, some bit of power to help shift their circumstances. And, of course, it also uh, helped them increase their academic skill, particularly in writing. And, and my background is in English. I got a, uh, an, a, a bachelor's degree in English. So uh, my background has always been in writing. And so engaging in the policy work helped me kind of merge from the beginning my arts work uh, with the legal work. And really lawyers are, are essentially professional storytellers. We take facts and we you know, weave them into a compelling narrative that can convince a judge or a jury or a policymaker. And so doing that with young people who had such powerful and impactful stories was really empowering for me as an artist, and I felt like I wanted to tell my own story at some point. So um, about 10 years ago, five years into my work uh, with young people around policy advocacy, I started a a business called Five-Dimensional Storytelling. Um, 5D storytelling is my approach to telling holistic narratives. And so uh, my my tagline is uh, we increase human understanding and catalyze human potential in order uh, to improve the world through writing, performance, popular education, and digital media. And so as as an artist, I do a lot of producing of of content that will appear appear on the web, content that may appear in live performance format or uh, in written uh, uh, written expression. Um, That work has been uh, fulfilling. Uh, It hasn't been as uh, lucrative as as it might have been had I 
only been doing that, but it, it's been kind of a, a, a labor of love in the midst of my legal career. Um, but recently, I have, because of lots of experiences with nonprofits, and I've worked in nonprofits in New Haven, Connecticut, while I was at Yale. I've worked in nonprofits in New York City, in San Francisco, in New Orleans, and here in Atlanta. And I've come to a, a really clear understanding of some of the real limits of the power of a nonprofit to actually make change, but also uh, the limits of, of uh, you know, the, the kind of culture of nonprofits um, when when it's stacked up against the problems that the world faces. Um, it's not the best and most efficient way to solve uh, social problems. It's also a kind of a model that can be unsustainable uh, over the long haul, and there's some specific reasons for that that I'll kind of hit on. Um, so the problem, the main problem with nonprofits i found is that they have all the challenges of a for-profit benefit, uh, for-profit they have all the challenges of a for-profit business and none of the benefits. Now, what I mean by that is, of course, if you have a business, you can sell it, you can transfer it, uh, you can cash out. Um, when the business has run its course, you can move on to something else. Uh, with a nonprofit, you don't have the option to do that. The, as, a, as a nonprofit, um, you also have the burden of, uh, you know, raising money, you have the burden of generating income to keep your uh, nonprofit sustained in the same way a small business has that challenge. The difference is a small business in some ways is a lot easier to identify your market. A uh, small business, you know if, you're, uh, you know if you have a bodega and people are not buying ravioli, you don't order ravioli anymore. With a nonprofit, your market is not so much the people you serve. Ultimately, it becomes the foundations who fund you. And so you have to figure out a way to become compelling to those who provide the money that really keeps your doors open as a nonprofit. And so it kind of separates you from your actual constituency. And I think a lot of people get disenchanted with that when they go into nonprofits to do good work and they want to help people and really want to do meaningful work. And then a few years in, they realize that a majority of their time is spent chasing foundation dollars in order to keep their doors open. Um, I, I feel like the other you know, main challenge with nonprofits is they are competitive, and, and it's by design. Yeah. So sometime in the 80s, and there's a long history of, of, of kind of what has become with, with uh, people in the nonprofit world have complained and, uh, as the nonprofit industrial complex. Uh, so these are, there's a network of nonprofits all around the country who uh, emerge out of the spirit of giving, the spirit of, of service, the spirit of justice, um, which is a beautiful thing, and we all want to support that. Uh, in the 80s, there was a pushback from the conservatives um, in power at the time and, and into the 90s, even with a, a Democratic governor, uh, president. Um, there was a lot of urge to, to, uh, towards privatization. And so many nonprofits are funded by government entities, and at this time they wanted to pull that funding out of nonprofits and make nonprofits be uh, you know private entities, and so they wanted to professionalize the nonprofit sector as well as make it more competitive. And the, and the, the stated purpose, which is I think a good purpose, uh, was to make them competitive. So the most uh, the, the the nonprofit that had the best way to serve people would be the one that got uh, the most funding. Now, in in principle, that sounds great, but in practice, what occurs is the organizations instead of acting like small businesses where you provide something people want and need or you go out of business. You know, if you have a restaurant, if you're not serving something people want or need, you cease to exist. 
whereas with a nonprofit, mm-hmm. because your funding comes from a private foundation, if you're able to convince these foundations that you're doing something great and you're kind of sexy to them, you don't have to really concern yourself with what people need or, or want um, in your constituency. And so that creates this distance between doing the actual good work and what you spend your, your time doing uh, for the most part. And so as a result, we get this, uh, this disconnect, which becomes a real problem for folks who, like myself who went into this work, sacrificed making a lot of money in order to do some good, and then 10 years down the line, you find yourself really frustrated with not having accomplished as much as you'd like because you spent so much time trying to raise money and to keep the doors open and not enough money to be sustained. Well, and we see this trend, you know, in, in, in the industry now of good um, where social enterprises, you know, you have exactly. promising innovations coming from entrepreneurs who are applying, you know, their talent and tenacity to do good and to solve those challenges, but at the same time, you know, earning revenue. And, and then there's also a shift for nonprofits to create scalable solutions, but not to just rely on funding and to look at ways to derive earned revenue. Um, so I, I know that you're going to touch on that. Can we, you know, move and shift to, to that aspect of it? You know, we know the challenges and what are some of the opportunities now um, that are inherent to nonprofit organizations that sort of align them with, you know, um, some of the organizational design of small businesses or thriving businesses. And I know we have a break coming up, but before we go on break, let's just at least touch on that a little bit. Well, there's some great solutions out there. One good thing about nonprofits is they attract smart people and they attract people that work hard and people that have really good ideas. And so what you find out there are ideas like the Benefit Corporation. So this is a a kind of a hybrid organization that has a double bottom line for profit and social benefit. And so these are there's 20 states around the country um, 27 actually around the country that have passed benefit corporation laws. So this, what this means is you get to really uh, put your social benefit as high as in importance as profit. What that does, it doesn't really change your tax status or any, any kind of concrete benefit in that way, but what it does is it allows you to market yourself to people. There's 70 million consumers right now who are identified as people who are uh, thoughtful consumers. They want to buy goods that are fair trade. They want to buy things that are environmentally friendly. And so as a B Corp, a benefit corporation, you can actually promote yourself to the, that, that sector of folks. The other thing is in the nonprofit world, people are, become, are realizing, as you said, that they need to generate income. I think there's a great opportunity and connecting with uh, artists in particular, because artists have to get their, um, raise their profile. Um, nonprofits have to get their stories told in compelling ways. If you can get, find artists who are tied in and linked in with nonprofits, it can help create media that's easy to travel on the web that really tells the story of a nonprofit powerfully. Through crowdsourcing sites like GoFundMe and the like, you couple really powerful artists with a really powerful message of nonprofits, you can get crowdsourcing and have, you can avoid going to foundations and get real people to donate money to you, even if it's $5 at a time. We see through the uh, presidential campaign of, of Barack Obama the power of crowdsourcing. And so that's really a great opportunity right now for nonprofits. 
among the many. I think that that's exceptional. I'm, I think that's exceptional information, and I, I hate to interrupt, but we must go to break now. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Michael Molina about crowdsourcing and some of the innovative ways that nonprofits can continue doing good in the community. That's our mantra here on Let's Talk Good Business. It's do good and be good wherever you are. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after our break to continue this discussion about win-win. At Boss Life Coaching, we partner with you to clarify, enhance, or reinvent your business strategy. Imagine your business with inspired leaders who foster teamwork, use of tools of innovation like social media and marketing automation. We offer executive coaching, tech startup consultation, small business coaching, and for larger organizations, we provide team building solutions, coaching, and soft skills training for you and your employees. Are you dreaming of a well-run business with consistent leads, sales, and profits? Well, let us help you make it a reality. Contact Boss Life Coaching, a program of the Life Purpose Coaching Institute. You can reach us online at bosslifecoaching.com or dial 877-427-2724, extension 801. That's bosslifecoaching.com. look at someone who is successful and they look at them and think that it was an instantaneous thing. Um, they don't know the passion that that person put in, the time, the, un the unlimited hours that they put into whatever it is that they are doing. The what is this, that is what we are doing here with Beautifully Driven. We are highlighting these stories, these obstacles, not to show you the negative, but to show you what it takes, the ins and the outs. Um, to become successful and then even define what is your level of success? What does that actually mean to you? We are here for that entrepreneur, that budding entrepreneur. We are here for that entrepreneur who has been in business for years and needs to just reshape uh, their whole theory or process of how they've been doing business. We're here for that person who just wants that fresh look on life whether it's going back to school, whether it is just being in a different relationship, we are here to just kind of show you the ins and outs and just the tips to just keep it beautifully driven. Welcome back, guys. Um, we've had an interesting discussion, and, and Michael and I have been very talkative on break, so we're going to share with you all the great things that we've been discussing. Um, as you know, if, you, if, you're not, if you're just tuning in, our guest today is Mike Molina, and he is 
just an awesome lawyer here in the Atlanta area, an educator, a performer, an author, uh, all around creative. And he's a member of the Georgia Lawyer for the Arts, and he's also on the board of the Decatur Arts Alliance. And we've been discussing crowdsourcing as a way that nonprofits can, you know, use that, that aspect of finding funding, as well as partnering with local artists to create media that's compelling so that they can attract more support. So, Mike, welcome back. After the break, I want you to share with our audience some of the things that we've been discussing offline. Sure. We are in a, a moment right now where there's lots of opportunity for nonprofits um, to overcome some of the challenges that have been endemic to them, and, and specifically how to remain sustainable and how to get funding outside of the normal uh, pursuit of, of foundation funding. And uh, crowdsourcing is a really intelligent way to do that. It kind of mirrors the way uh, small businesses get their money. So a small business will sell something people want and need, um, and, and people will pay for it. Uh, likewise, with crowdsourcing, you get the opportunity as a nonprofit to attract people to something meaningful, and people are looking for things that are meaningful. And so if you are able to find a really compelling way to tell your, your narrative, particularly online through digital media, you can attract people who can donate $5 at a time, $10 at a time. Not only can you attract them from the community surrounding your nonprofit, you can attract them from across the world, which increases the opportunity of, of funding far beyond what a normal small business would have. And so the crowdsourcing in particular is a great opportunity. Um, but there are others as well. Um, in particular, nonprofits are in the position because they can offer a tax benefit to folks. Um, you know, in, in my experience, those businesses, corporations, large corporate entities have a, a deep interest in making sure that they give back to the communities where they are. And I've had lots of encounters with some of the major businesses here um, in Atlanta, you know, your, your Turners, your Home Depots, who are big-time givers. And so nonprofits that can, again, tell their story compellingly not only to people who may give but to corporate bodies who are interested in making sure that they are good corporate citizens, you can tap into not only money, but resources, technical support, uh, people, um, even, even the executives who uh, work at these corporations sometimes can offer specific uh, real, real good benefit to nonprofits. And so that's something that's more uh, traditional, but I think in a, in a city like Atlanta where there's so much corporate power, that's really uh, you know, a real avenue to success for nonprofits. And, and like you said, sometimes they go above and beyond giving money. I know a lot of our major corporations here in the city have a volunteer force where, you know, their executives and, you know, their their management and just their employees in general are encouraged to go out and to give their professional expertise um, to nonprofits. And some of those companies will then match the value of that time, you know. So they'll match it dollar for dollar, but they'll also sometimes match the value of that time, you know. Um, so Absolutely. it's a good thing also for, for nonprofits to leverage those matching dollars that some of the corporations give. Every donor that if, – if, it doesn't matter if it's $5 or $500. Find out where they work and, you know, approach the organization for matching dollars. I think that's another Absolutely. creative way. Um, it's a lot of money left on the table, you know, where mm -hmm. nonprofits, especially the small ones, don't go after the matching dollars that the major corporations give as a benefit to their employees. So, and part of um, the storytelling. 
Well, part of the storytelling in, in trying to get those dollars and get the matching dollars and get the attention of corporations is to understand that, you know, as much as there's a, a need for corporations to be corporate citizens, they are at their baseline profit-driven entities. And what I found in conversation with folks at different different foundations that are tied to corporations is if you can sell the fact that you can sell a great experience for their for their employees, meaning if you can convince uh, a corporation that by not just donating their expertise, but even coming and volunteering for a cleanup day or something at your nonprofit, that it it makes Atlanta a more appealing city. Uh, a place like Turner, which has you know obviously uh, a huge network of uh, offices all over the world, when they want to attract great talent to Atlanta from New York or from LA, they try to convince them that Atlanta is a great metropolitan area. It has great arts. It has great culture. It has great experiences for your children. It has a wonderful, it's a wonderful choice um, above New York or LA for some of the great talent that that's uh, in the Turner network. And a lot of times they use nonprofits as a way to sell Atlanta to uh, to the great talent. And so as a nonprofit, if you can figure out ways to design great experiences for people, particularly engaging arts and culture, it not only lifts Atlanta as a potential place for folks to move to, it lifts those corporations as, as, as a way, as a site for the best talent in the world. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and that, that's amazing. You know, you keep discussing the arts and, you know, you also mentioned um, in the first segment that nonprofits can leverage the arts community. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? How can the arts community help nonprofit organizations? Well, artists are storytellers. You know, no matter what form of art, um, an artist is telling a narrative about society and a, a, a kind of interpretation of the world we live in. Um, and that kind of philosophical thought around arts has a real practical, you know, implication for nonprofits. Nonprofits, anything that's service-driven or driven by the notion that the world can be a better place than it is or, um, you know, something of, of the like, has a real investment in storytelling. I mean, that's really what nonprofits do is they sell stories. They convince people that what they do is important enough that folks will give their time, their talent, their treasure in order to help. Uh, move that purpose forward or that mission forward. So when nonprofits engage with artists in a meaningful way, and I know that there's a traditional way and uh, that, you know, you invite an artist to come and, you know, do some singing at, at an event, at a gala, a fundraising gala, that's all great. But what, what's more uh, kind of uh, meaningful than that is kind of the model of Georgia Lawyers for the Arts. So Georgia Lawyers for the Arts engages attorneys who need pro bono hours every year in providing pro bono legal help for artists in the community. So they're not, they do have a gala every year where they invite artists um, to come and perform and they raise money. They do that traditional thing. But in my experience of working for folks, what I've encountered again and again and again is all of these artists in Atlanta, um, particularly screenwriters, musicians, of which there's, there are, there's a huge number of creatives in Atlanta knowing that there's this great film industry occurring, there's a music industry that's very robust and mature here. You find that um, there's all this talent that's untapped, that's looking for expression. They may have had one hit or may have had one thing sold, and they're looking for that next opportunity 
um, to sell. And what I've, you know, at, at times been able to do is connect some of those artists with nonprofits that really are looking for storytellers to help p push their stories forward. And when when that connection is made, uh, you can have something like what you know. I can tell a, tell a specific story for myself. So I'm a screenwriter, a playwright, and a performer. Um, I wrote a play called Mass Transit Muse. It's a bus ride through my hometown, New Orleans, and it, it kind of goes through the history and culture of the city in a really interesting way. It's written in rhymed, metered prose, spoken word poetry, the song. And so it's a very, um, very interesting milieu, a mix of, of, of uh, many different arts. What I realized early on is that the Beltline, which is a nonprofit locally which wants to promote you know, uh, transit in the form of people biking and, and walking, and MARTA, which recently, you know, had a, 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 a rate, uh, um, I'm sorry, they, there was recently a, uh, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm losing my, my train here. Uh, we, we know that MARTA is not supported by the federal, uh, the, the state government here. So MARTA has had some challenges mm -hmm. with sustainability. Um, so what I did was I reached out to MARTA and I reached out to the Beltline and we performed our play on the Beltline in order to attract people to the Beltline. We performed our play actually on MARTA trains going from station to station in order to promote what? MARTA as a place for, you know, you know, engagement. You know, like in New York on the subway, there's always something exciting to see. And that's kind of we we shifted. We actually transformed the content of the play in order to fulfill part of the mission of MARTA, which is to attract people to using mass transit. And we did that by having our play, and we promoted it and publicized it. And that day, we had 60 people who didn't come to ride MARTA to go someplace to actually rode MARTA that day to come see a play on MARTA. Um, same thing with the Beltline. And so um, with those, those are two examples of how an artist being forward-thinking and needing an opportunity to get their stuff out there can, can tap into the resources that are around them in nonprofits and say, hey, you have a mission, I have a story, let's figure out the way that they align and we'll, get, we'll raise you know, your awareness through the arts and you'll raise my profile through you know, your membership. Nonprofits have one thing they can do is they can move people. Um, they get people activated and motivated. And so as an artist, that's what you need. You need a health beach. You need to get your, your story in front of people. And so it's really a, a kind of a perfect match uh, match, a match that really can be fruitful for both sides. Well, when we come back, because we've got to take another break, but when we come back, I want you to tell us more about, you know, your creative work. I know you have 5D and other projects going on. We want to hear more about you, what you're doing in the community. You've shared some valuable information about nonprofits that I think our listeners can, can use, and, and definitely we want to get your contact information as well as how those that are listening, you know, who, have, who may be artists, can contact the Georgia Lawyers for the Arts as well. Maybe, you know, some of the resources you can buy, provide will be helpful. So we'll be right back, guys. We're taking a break. Don't touch that dial. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with more information on how to be and how to do good business. At Boss Life Coaching, we partner with you to clarify, enhance, or reinvent your business strategy. Imagine your business with inspired leaders who foster teamwork, use of tools of innovation like social media and marketing automation. We offer executive coaching, tech startup consultation, 
small business coaching, and for larger organizations, we provide team building solutions, coaching, and soft skills training for you and your employees. Are you dreaming of a well-run business with consistent leads, sales, and profits? Well, let us help you make it a reality. Contact Boss Life Coaching, a program of the Life Purpose Coaching Institute. You can reach us online at bosslifecoaching.com or dial 877-427-2724, extension 801. That's bosslifecoaching.com. look at someone who is successful and they look at them and think that it was an instantaneous thing. Um, they don't know the passion that that person put in, the time, the, un the unlimited hours that they put into whatever it is that they are doing. The what is this, that is what we are doing here with Beautifully Driven. We are highlighting these stories, these obstacles, not to show you the negative, but to show you what it takes, the ins and the outs. Um, to become successful and then even define what is your level of success? What does that actually mean to you? We are here for that entrepreneur, that budding entrepreneur. We are here for that entrepreneur who has been in business for years and needs to just reshape uh, their whole theory or process of how they've been doing business. We're here for that person who just wants that fresh look on life, whether it's going back to school, whether it is just being in a different relationship. We are here to just kind of show you the ins and outs and just the tips to just Keep it beautifully driven. Hey, Atlanta, our phone lines are open. Call us now at 404-850-8249. We're taking your questions about entrepreneurship, nonprofits, and social good. You'll receive a response on today's show or during a future broadcast. Dial 404-850-8249. That's 404-850-8BIZ.
Hey everybody, it's Dr. Dion and this is Let's Talk Good Business. You guys know that the mantra of our show is do good and be good wherever you are. And Michael Molina, he is just wonderful. If you've been listening, you've heard a lot of great information about nonprofits and create ways to generate earned revenue by partnering with the arts community. And during the first segment and the second segment, you know, Mike, you touched on a performance that you did along the Beltline and at various MARTA stops to attract a crowd, of course, but to raise awareness about the needs of the community. And that play, you know, from the snippets that I've seen, I'd love to see it in person, but the snippets that I've seen online, it's it's really cool. Can you tell our listeners more about Mass Transit Muse? And I know that in addition to it being, you know, a play, a stage play, um, there's also a book that you wrote as, an, I don't know if it's an accompaniment or if it was the book that became a play. Tell us more about Mass Transit Muse and what inspired it. Yes, so Master Hands and Muse is is the first five-dimensional story. Uh, It's a book that was transformed into uh, an audio book, which is snippets of performed aspects of the book. Um, It has a live performance that that you just talked about that are done on in public spaces as well as uh, a three-week run at seven stages uh, in the little five points last year. Um, it also has, a, in addition to a live performance aspect, it has a popular education aspect. So right now, the book, the audio, the live performance, all of that um, is you know, parts of it are online and, you know, so that the it, it can, the filmed aspects of it, the visual aspects of it can travel beyond uh, the Atlanta metro area. And I use some of those online clips mixing in the live performance of the song and the spoken word and the, the dramatic aspects of the play to do what I call popular education, which is what I was trained in uh, at, at, while I was in law school. Um, and it's really an approach to education outside the walls of a traditional institution. It's, uh, it, it engages people in interactive kind of dialogue and, and conversation to help enrich their understanding of a topic through really bringing their own experiences in. So Master and Muse, uh, the book, the, the performance, the audio CD, the digital stories that are online, all of those come together when I present it as a kind of an inspirational talk for young people, for college students, even, even for elders, as a way to get them thinking about things in society that they um, have observed, things that are great about you know, the way the world is now, things that have improved since some of the uh, struggles of civil rights and human rights in the past, but also some of what's missing right now, what we need to strive for. It gives people an opportunity to now think through those things and have, you know, creative experiences trigger thoughts about those things, but also gives them an opportunity to talk through what they'd like to see happen in the world. And then at the end, uh, there's some, some you know, uh, commitments that are, that are asked that they will take some steps towards making the world better in the ways that they um, imagine. And so that performance piece is now a, a kind of an inspirational uh, interactive talk that involves creative expression, interactive dialogue, um, you know, projection of video, uh, audio, live performance, and it, it's, it's a five-dimensional story. It has all those aspects. And really, that five-dimensional storytelling approach is my response to the new world of storytelling. If you can interact with young people right now, you know that they sit down and they, while they're watching TV, they're on the phone researching the characters. 
on the TV show or the actors who are on the TV show while texting their friend while on the phone with their girlfriend. And we look at that, we're like, that's insane. How can a person do four things at once? <laughs> but in reality, these young people have grown up with technology um, being an integral part of their lives, and they can. They can, they can uh, use multiple things at one time. So really, if you want to reach them, I feel like you have to tell stories in multiple formats simultaneously. Um, in addition, I think five-dimensional storytelling is, is an approach that nonprofits can use, artists can use in order to um, get their messaging out multiple platforms. So in reality, there are people who will listen to music all day but will not read an article. There are folks who will read an article, but music is like whatever to them. There are some folks who won't do either, but will look at clips of videos. There are some people who want live interactive experiences that tie to technology. So if you can figure out a way to tell your story in all five of those dimensions, you're expanding your, your potential to reach people, and really that's what it's all about now, especially online. You have to be able to have multiple avenues or access points for people to find your stories. So. Um, that's what I'm up to, and 5B Stories and, and Mass Transit Music is an example of that, but I also do some consulting for nonprofits, and, and a particular um, uh, Van Jones who's on CNN right now is a good friend of mine. He's a Yale Law grad as well and re recruited me from Yale Law to come out to San Francisco and work with him at his uh, nonprofit. But he also has an organization that does some digital media work nationally, and I worked mm -hmm. with him on something called Art Strike uh, two years ago, and we got 11 million impressions. Uh, my job was to find artists who could help tell the story of economic struggle in a powerful, meaningful way. And so I found spoken word artists, musicians, actors, um, and they all submitted to me, uh, you know, skits, songs, visual art, all kinds of things that I kind of curated personally and then distributed out to uh, fans' network. And we got 11 million impressions on one day just from sending these really you know, beautiful expressions of, you know, how it is to struggle economically and the things that the opportunities that are available for uh, policymakers and other folks to do something about that. And so these are the, the this is what five-dimensional storytelling is all about. It's really you know, telling stories in these five dimensions, but also using those stories to increase human understanding and to catalyze the human potential to do something about um, some of the struggles in the world. Um, yeah, and, you know, also doing something um, not just the creative front, but the technology front. I, I know Van as well, absolutely. and, you know, his Yes We Code initiative, there's something very important, you know, that you said about reaching our people. The, the Yes We Code initiative, you know, Van made a comment um, here in Atlanta um, several months ago at a conference we um, both attended. And he said, you know, our, our youth, they have to be more than just, you know, digital cotton pickers moving their thumbs around on mm. the screen. You know, we have mm -hmm. to be uploaders, not downloaders. So the Yes We Code initiative is to teach the under-resourced children in our community, you know, how to write computer programs, how to develop apps, how to take those innovative ideas that they dream about at night and think that they can can't do anything with them to create products that could generate revenue for themselves as well as to, you know, secure them, you know, a, a place at the table in this world of STEM. We know that those STEM jobs pay more than other jobs. So, mm -hmm. you know, or just to leverage their artistic abilities because technology and art both sit on the same side of the brain. So it's yeah. interesting that he's doing, you know, something in both the arts um, as well as um, in the technology space. Now, 
tell our listeners how they can reach out to you because, like you said, it's five-dimensional, and this is not just a stage play. I, I don't know if you're bringing it back to Atlanta. You had a run, you know, last year at Seven Stages, you know, but if it doesn't play again, you know, can they buy it online? I know the book's available. Tell our listeners how they, they can get the book and how we can contact you. Sure. There are a couple of ways to get, get me, but uh, you can find me at Mike Molina, M-I-K-E-M-O-L-I-N-A dot org. And I use dot org because you know, I'm an organism. I'm not a, I'm not a business. And so as a person, if you want to catch up with what I'm up to, you can buy my book there. You can also find out where I'm performing next. You can uh, just, just keep up with me. So it's Mike Molina dot org. Um, I also have a blog, which is Momolina, M-O-M-O-L-I-N-A. And so if you want more of Mike Molina, my writings and, and some of – I post a lot of my digital stories and, and what I'm creating in the short film format on the blog. Um, so that's momolina.com, M-O-M-O-L-I-N-A.com. And really, uh, you know, if, you, if you're interested in uh, my legal work or the consulting I have uh, MikeMolinaLaw.com. And so this is less of if you're really interested in some legal help and you're an artist out there, I would suggest you know you, you, you want uh, help but you're not able to really afford it. The Georgia Lawyers for Arts is a great opportunity. I do work with folks if they need it, um, and, and so you can contact me on, on, that, on that end. If you're a nonprofit and you're interested in my help in trying to figure out ways to partner with artists, um, and, and really figure out how to utilize that power of storytelling in, um, in ways that can really help your nonprofit. I have a, a, a website that's in development but should be ready really soon called 5D Stories. So it's 5dstories.com. And that's really more geared towards nonprofits who want the, you know, some consulting help and how to engage the artists uh, in, in moving their message. Um, so that's 5D Stories, and it's the, the number five, the letter D, Stories.com. And uh, well, your your tech team is very talented because it's there. <laughs> I'm 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 looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. so. And well, I'll tell you this in 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 relationship to what you said, Devan. As a grown man who did not grow up with computers, we couldn't afford it. When I was, I, I didn't touch my first computer to college. To uh, you know, my freshman year of college was the first time I really engaged with computers. Um, I've learned how to build my websites, and there are so many resources out there now for you to learn how to do what you want to do yourself that there's really no excuse anymore. If you want to build a website, if you want to, to do a blog, if you want to figure out how to do podcasts, it's all out there and it's all available to you. And yes, we code. What's beautiful about that is they do these what's called hackathons, and though it sounds illegal, it's not at all. It engages young people, right, with nonprofits. And you bring these young people in and they say, think about a problem in your community. Think about an app, a phone app or a computer application, software application that can help, with, help uh, solve that problem. And then they bring in professional uh, um, software designers, to, coders, right, to work with the young people and develop solutions to these problems. And we're working on trying to get a, 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 a hackathon at the place where I'm, I'm, I'm helping the organization I'm helping right now called uh, Clarkston Community Center. Clarkston is a refugee resettlement town, so it's about 50% folks who speak 57 different languages from all over Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, and a, a large African-American population which is economically struggling. 
and uh, we bring all those. We want to bring all those young people into an opportunity to learn how to code. You know, coding is a language. It's a way of telling stories, and we want to empower these young people to do that. So, hopefully, you'll hear about that soon. If you want to know more about that social benefit work, you can go to ClarksonCommunityCenter.org. We got a lot of amazing things happening, including an art at the center summer camp uh, this summer. Um, so that's ClarksonCommunityCenter.org. So lots of places. You can awesome. Come up to. Awesome. We're at the end of our show, and I hate that we have to go, but, you know, that's how it goes. We only have an hour, and it was great talking to you, Mike. We'll definitely bring you back just to, you know, make sure our listeners are, are kept abreast of all the great things you're doing in the community. Guys, thank you for joining. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, and, and don't forget to do good and be good wherever you are. This is Dr. Dion Mahaffey, and this is Let's Talk Good Business. Thank you for listening. Tune in again for more information about the emerging social enterprise. You can also visit us on the web at talkgoodbusiness.com.